and welcome back to the TRK Mailbag. My name is Tom Savage. I hope you've had a good week. Uh, my schedule has been flowing quite well, actually, although not in the order that I put it into schedule uh, on the site. Um, so this is coming out today. It was meant to be out Monday, but uh, I've got that Brian Gleeson Young Bucks article coming as well. Um, a very, very interesting player uh, and a guy who's been recently selected for the under-20s. I have a ton of questions I've got to get to, and if you can hear construction work in the background, um, it's because there's construction afoot. <laughs> it's coming out next door. Uh, so I'll try and close that window. There we go. I'm not editing that out. I just, I don't edit. I think it, I think it ruins the sanctity of the recording. Anyway, I'm going to get back to those questions that I had from the other day, and um, I think looking at... The, uh, the questions that are coming in. We're getting a good slice of uh, relevant because of the end of the URC season and some of the news that's broken over the last couple of the, uh, uh, games or weeks. Games. Um, so I'll get to it right now. The very first question, just to keep it somewhat relevant uh, to the last couple of days, are the ones I've gotten about John Klain. What is the story with his selection? What does it mean for Munster going forward? There's been just a variety of them. So, looking at um, Jean Klain's selection and uh, apparent uh, imminent um, inclusion in whatever squad, be it for the Rugby Championship, the warm-ups, or the World Cup itself for Jean Klain, he is firmly back in the uh, Springbok radar, uh, for sure, whatever happens. And uh, after he undergoes the transfer... Um, back to being Springbok eligible, that will make him unavailable for the Irish um, IRFU going forward, which means that he will qualify regardless of what happens with his selection or the World Cup. He will not be considered Irish qualified from now on. And um, that comes with a few unpredictable scenarios that are, you know, ranging from inconvenient to, I won't say disastrous, but um, damaging to Munster going forward. Um, one of the, you know, Regulation 8, right? One of the big things that comes with this, it's come in over the last couple of years. It allows people, and I think this was on the face of it, it allows people who have played for one country to declare for another after they have attained um, a, a, a residency or if they have a, a birthright to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the national team in question. Uh, this has been very true and very useful for a lot of the Pacific Island teams. You look at the Tonga team that's coming up this in, in the World Cup um, in, in a couple of months. They have a ton of guys who have redeclared for Tonga based on either their own birthright or their, their, their parents' heritage or whatever. Um, that has been really good for the Pacific Island teams. You look at Samoa, they have Malachi Fekatoa back. You look at the Tongan team that will be playing in the World Cup. They have Adam Coleman. They have, um, you know, a couple of other, you know, players who come back there as well who have obviously got caps for the All Blacks for Australia and um, uh, South Africa. If you look at the press conference by Razi Erasmus in the last couple of days, he spoke about how uh, South Africa voted against that resolution. Uh, they obviously lost out in that vote but as he said when that vote was passed they started looking at players that well how can this help us we didn't they like they, they voted against it but now that it's there how can it benefit them one of the guys that showed up on their radar was Jean Klain and uh, since it came close to the last time that he was capped uh, the time you know the, the cool down period from when you would last have played international rugby 
has to be three years so it is three years since Jean Klein last played for Ireland or it'll be coming up to it very soon once you have um, that timer um, you know cooled down uh, once you have a a birth race you know like so basically Jean Klein is South African so um, you have to go get permission from World Rugby and that's what South Africa have that's what they've gone looking for and um, the reaction to it since has been uh, confusion in some places disappointment um, kind of upset from some people as well who I think rightly see this as being the beginning of the end of, of Jean Klein's monster career because now he is non-Irish qualified Um it becomes way more complex to keep him now there are not just the can you afford this player discussion that has to be there with every player which you know which will be the case regardless but um now it's the case of can we get permission to keep this guy which is the case on all non-irish qualified contracts um and look sometimes that's the case when it comes to you know he won't be forced out the door this summer uh, like that's not going to happen but his contract does expire at the end of next season alongside uh, RG Snemans so that immediately becomes a complex or a far more complex situation whereas prior to this call up you could have potentially made a case where you go well look we can keep Jean Klein he's Irish qualified we'll re-sign his contract there's nothing complex about that and you can make a case for well you know RG Snayman you know world class player he's helping to develop these guys or whatever else and you could you know make a case maybe we keep him for another year or something like that now that's kind of gone out the window it will be impossible for me to keep both so for you know the, the, the next kind of contract negotiation period that to a certain extent with some players has already started you're in a situation now where you will have to go to David Nusifora and, and look to try and make a case to keep you know Jean Klein for another year or two years or whatever else uh, and I'd say be resigned to the fact that that RG Stamen you know look it's not impossible but it's just be, it's become more difficult to get you know two non-Irish qualified players in you know those two second row slots is almost impossible. Like, isn't I? I can't see how that would be allowed under everything that we've seen from David Nusifor in the last couple of years. That in itself has made it a lot more complex. So that on the like, like that is the 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 other side of it, which is a, a big negative for Munster. Outside of the positive, which you know, I mean, it is for Jean Klein himself. It, it's a massive positive for him to get called up to get that recognition, like. He has been playing at that level. One of the most annoying things that I've seen, and I think I wrote this in my article um, uh, in The Jackal this week um, about Jean Klain, was, uh, and I think this always goes back to 2019, when he was selected ostensibly ahead of Devin Toner for that World Cup. Um, he upset, and like that like that, that selection by Jean, or Joe Schmidt, upset a ton of Devin Toner's pals and lovies in the in the in the press ex-Leinster players and the journalists who want to impress the ex-Leinster players had a vociferous reaction to uh to Jean Klein's selection it's similar enough to what uh, CJ Stander received to what Bundy Aki received this with Jean Klein became more personal though um for like you know I, I think it's it was just one of those things that every project player who qualified up to that point got you know I think incrementally worse 
treatment. Um, each one kind of got the echoes of the one that was there previously. So there was a ton of almost <laughs> like hater reverb. <laughs> there was so much of it. Um, and John Clayne got a fairly nasty dose of it. And since then, like, I mean, those guys have never fucking forgiven him for being selected. Now, you know, he didn't select himself um, ahead of Devin Toner, but they, it, it always seemed to me that they've never forgiven him for it. He's never got the credit. He's never got the the respect for the performances that, for me, he's put in um, since the 2019 World Cup. Like, he has been a cornerstone player for Munster. Um, and look, if you look at the front fives that he's played in for Munster in that time, where he's been selected along, alongside guys who were, you know, far smaller than him, where so much of the physical duress of playing in a pack kind of fell on John Clayne's shoulders as the tight head lock. And one of the best tight, tight, tight head locks in Europe. I mean, there's a reason why he's been selected in the spring box. Some of the nonsense I've seen, by the way, people talking about, oh, to get information on the Irish team. What fucking information will John Clayne have on the Irish setup up in Carton House? He knows the exact same as fucking you or I. The whole reason that he's be able to declare for South Africa again in the first place is because he hasn't been selected for those Irish camps. And if uh, Jacques Ninabar and Razi Erasmus wanted to play mind games and get the inside read from the Ireland camp, they would call up Jason Jenkins. But they don't want to call up Jason Jenkins. They tried that in November and it didn't work. So... You know, there's there's lots of nonsense, but this is the kind of stuff that that, that we've seen about Sean Clayne for many years. I think there was this uh, idea that he was useless, a big lump, and like I, I think part of the reason why he was never selected afterwards, I can only guess. Um, it, it just it just felt that no, no, I won't say vindictive, but it felt that he was kind of made a scapegoat for what happened Ireland in the World Cup in 2019 for whatever reason. Um, he was not selected by Farrell or you know any of the forward coaches that that Farrell had since well two of them um in the aftermath of it and that's completely their right I'm not saying that they should have for me my own opinion on it is that every team could do with a tight head lock like Jean Klein um it just when you look at the teams who end up winning trophies big trophies consistently they have a player like that who and, and and for me this is the big bonus right is that with a guy like Jean Klein it allows you to play um James Ryan in a more natural role I feel um be it starting or off the bench for for Jean Klein I mean I'm not saying and, and this has been one of the big things that I've I've experienced whenever I've spoken about this is that when I'm saying look you could use Jean Klein at test level like you can get that guy in there because I've spoken about with, with James Ryan for years now about how they've been sizing him up to make him a guy like Sean Clayne but with the other natural talents that James Ryan has it hasn't worked Ireland's game plan as it stands at the moment hit its peak of effectiveness I would say in the last year there or thereabouts James Ryan's performances in it have been far more effective. I would say in certain aspects of his game, he is more efficient than he has ever been. His breakdown work for me has been a letdown. But his stuff like his his tackling, his his carrying, his line-out work, I think, have actually been really, really good. But for me, with, with what a guy like Jean Klein would do, and this goes the same with, with Ian Henderson and Tyke Byrne also, is that he allows you to play those guys in slightly lighter roles. 
he's a guy who can give you a hard 60 minutes or he can give you a fucking rock and roll heavy metal 20 minutes that's what you use your tight head lock for that's what france used paul Willemsa for that's how la rochelle most of the time use will skelton they're different types of players but what john clain gives you is i think john clain's biggest role twin would be paul Willemsa, right where he's not a guy who's going to be giving you 15 20 carries a game he's not going to be giving you you know super athletic you know jumping in the middle and all this other stuff he just gives you really top end physical scrummaging he gives you great pressure at the mall allows you to scrummage that little bit higher as well which i think would do a world of good friends reporter um but he just he, he maxes out on his breakdown involvements as well when he's doing that other guys don't have to so just from a practical perspective if james ryan doesn't have to be you know racking up whatever it is you know 20 25 rock involvements or 30 rock involvements Jean Klein can take over the majority of those, which leaves James Ryan literally more calories to carry the ball more, to, you know, defend more actively. Whatever you want to do, you can put more of the dirty work onto a guy like Jean Klein, who has the physicality to really make that dirty work valuable. Um, but they have gone a different way consistently. They have tried to bring in guys like Kieran Treadwell, guys like Joe McCarthy. Uh, Treadwell, for me, is a, is a decent player. Um, you look at Joe McCarthy has potential to be you know a very decent player I think both guys at the moment are nowhere near the quality of Jean Klain what he brings in that role now some of the criticisms of, of Jean Klain has been that he doesn't have the best hands um, for me the Irish locks over the last couple of years they don't have to be massive passers of the ball but even then that was always a, a kind of a an, an overrated criticism of, of Jean Klain um, he had one or two knock-ons in a few games, but if you look at any second row over the course of a season, they'll have a few handling errors. That's just one of those things. Um, but yeah, no, I think when you look at John Klain, I think the biggest issue for him is that he has been the sole power player in small enough monster packs and a small enough monster front fives over the last couple of seasons. And that will take a toll on your perception. I think I remember saying it that you know, if the likes of Jean Klain, if he were to sign for a Racing, you know, or for a Toulouse or for any one of those clubs, all of a sudden you'd be just like, Jesus Christ, this guy is fucking outstanding. What were Munster doing? Because size was around him. So all of a sudden he could be way more effective. And look at that. The end of the season as it played out, Munster had RG Snayman fit. We had Tyg Byrne fit at the same time. So you could play that extra size in the back five and in the front five. And all of a sudden, Jean Klain is playing out of his skin, supposedly. He's still playing the same game, but because there was more size and power around him, all of a sudden, it's way more effective. And and it's no surprise, really, that, that Jean Klain has been called up. But anybody who knows the game to any real detail could tell you that anyway. Like... Uh, South Africa didn't just start looking at John Klain three weeks ago do you know like they've been looking at him for the last year because they realise hey he could be coming back onto our radar fairly soon because he's not in the Irish conversation for whatever reason they know what he brings like he's like he's named in that squad now he's got to maybe you know he's got to go through training but they've gone through the the process of, of re-registering him which is complex enough like they've gone to the bother of that so like I think when you look at um 
his usage for the Springboks. I mean, he's a guy who will fit in that Eben Etzebeth role set, which straight away will have guys kind of going, no, he doesn't have big muscles like Eben Etzebeth, so he can't be an effective rugby player at test level because where are them big muscles at? Um, and I think this a lot of this comes from the Leinster media sphere, we'll say, where Eben Etzebeth is that constant guy that, you know, if only Leinster had an Eben Etzebeth, they should be, you know, that they, they would win all around him. Like, uh, I think you look at Jason Jenkins being the sort of guy who was brought in to be Eben Etzebeth, big muscles, by the way. Um, it didn't work out. It had, didn't work out to the level that they wanted. Leinster were looking at the guy like Jean Klein because... Like, I mean, he wouldn't sign for them, but that's the sort of, of, of player profile that they wanted. Jason Jenkins is not the same as John Klain. What John Klain gives you is something that's inherently valuable. Anybody who knows the game to any real detail understands that. He didn't just become a top-class player in the last three weeks. He's been playing to this level for the last three years. I think I saw somebody saying the other day, I was on the 42 or something, they were saying, I think even John Klain himself would say that uh, he hasn't been playing to this level. John Klain has been playing incredibly fucking well for the last number of years years plural if this is not just this season he has been a really effective player for Munster it's just honestly a guy a tight head lock like him the more size you put around them the better you become and the better that tight head lock looks he has been playing in small Munster front fives for four or five years at this stage because he has been we've tried to pack guys around him to get that out of him but he has always ended up being the fellow who's who's been available. And like we tried to put uh Grobler with with John Klein. Didn't work because by the time Grobler got fit, his mind was broken in two over the media coverage that he got from his uh his drug ban. And uh, we tried to get RG Snaman in, he was injured for three and a half years or whatever it was. <laughs> it felt like it was three and a half years. Um we tried to get that size in there alongside him. And again, look, you, you go back to his first season when he was playing alongside Dunnick Ryan and looked fucking outstanding. What's the common denominator there? He had size around him, so he looked much better. That's been the consistent thing for Jean Klein this year. All of a sudden, people now were taking notice. But that guy was playing the entire time. It's just that we didn't have the build around him to make what he did look even better. Now results are there. Munster are winning trophies. It's because of guys like Jean Klein. And I think that's the, you know, when you look at the South Africans' understanding as to what that brings. He's brought in, like like I said, ostensibly as a role twin for Ibn Etzebeth. So, like, that's the sort of level he's playing at and that's the role set he brings. South Africans understand roles and the value of them. I think in the media bubble in Ireland at times, we're very much um, locked up a little bit on form. Ireland don't select on form, first of all. It has been over the last couple of years where it has seemed that we have been selecting on form, but we have not. It has just so happened that the players who are in form are also playing for Ireland. But you look at the selection for the World Cup camps that's just gone, where are all the Munster players? This is the first time that people have been kind of going, oh, there's there's no Munster players there. Munster won a trophy. Why isn't John Hodnett there? Why isn't John Klain there? Why aren't these other fellas there? Where's Shane Daly? Where's Mike Haley? They think because, well, Munster are in form now. They've won trophies. So there should be more Munster guys there. That's not how Ireland work. That's not how the high performance unit in the IRFU, that's not how they work. 
That's not how they've selected this Ireland team. It's just looked like that because for the majority of the time that they have been successful, that has also coincided with Leinster playing really well for the most part, uh, for the most part, and Munster, Ulster, the other teams not really winning anything. They don't select on form. They select on their system and their system over the last two years, I will say, since they I think it was the summer 2021 has been Leinster. So there are more Leinster players there. I think this time when you saw the likes of Joe McCarthy and other fellas who, look, haven't really featured prominently for Leinster at all this season. They've been injured. They've been in, they've been up and down. People are kind of going, well, look, what's up with that? This is the way it's always been. It's just that now it looks a little bit more egregious because Munster are the ones who've won a trophy. Leinster haven't. So that becomes something that, that triggers people to a certain extent to go, what's going on here? Because it's always been assumed it's form. It's not form, it's system. I think South Africa, they very much select on role because their system as such as it is, it is adapting a little bit from what worked in, in 2019. Um, they won't go too far away from it. They like to try and add a few bits and pieces on their kick return, I think. But what better, like, you know, you, you, you don't have to look too far to find a usage for a guy like Jean Klain in any sort of system that you want to play. So it's not a surprise that now he's um he's you know eligible again that that he is eligible and and he is, and he has been put back in. Uh it's not a surprise. So um yeah, I hope that answers all the very many questions I had on Jean Klain over the last uh, couple of days. Um yeah, it, it 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 didn't feel good though, did it? When you saw when I, when I saw his name there, I was just like, "Oh fuck," because it's the end of his time here, really. You know, like, I think Munster next time around will get, like, this coming season. I would be very surprised, based on who I've spoken to, if we didn't get permission to re-sign him. So, like, maybe for another two-year deal. But, like, I mean, that's his last contract, I would say, at that stage. I, I don't think that's, like, because, again, at that point, you'd have Evan O'Connell, Edwin Adogbo, Thomas O'Hearn, and whoever else who would be at that stage then where they'd be looking to kind of take over and you could put John Klain onto a veteran deal you know if he was Irish qualified at that point but at you know if he signs a two year deal which I think he will be offered and I think we'll get the, the permission to do that it just makes it so difficult for the next one and almost like almost impossible to visualise for me Um. so yeah um, it's just it's it, it doesn't feel good in that regard but you can't but be happy for the guy to have you know to, to have played as well as he has for so long to get that recognition for the world champions it shows how good a player he is and always has been uh, and, and, and on that regard I'm just very very happy for the guy uh, this next one is from Alex Fulton um, do you think international head coaches will be looking at the URC and, and European rugby or the Heineken Cup this year and wanting to pivot their teams towards on-ball rugby. Do you think Andy will have been getting the information and watching performances of the Irish sides and planning to introduce more on-ball rugby to the national side or are we going to double down on counter-transition? Um, I, I think it, Ireland plays slightly more possession rugby than Leinster do. Slightly more. Um but I don't see any radical changes coming for, from Ireland from a stylistic perspective. 
And I think for a lot of the teams there, as you said, international head coaches, it's very difficult to move to an on-ball style because you don't have the, you don't have the, the time with the players, you don't have the, the 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 units that are familiar with each other. Like part of the reason why, like, there's a bit of a chicken and egg situation here is like, why have Ireland been so good when it comes to the wins we've gotten over the last couple of years? Like we've only won one trophy, the Six Nations, just gone the Grand Slam, and and rightfully so, we were the best team in the tournament. But you look at the other games we've won, like the style that we're playing. It's only really possible because the majority of the team, and this is true when you look at the selection patterns that are there, Andy Farrell has not selected a wide range of players from a wide range of places in the last number of years. Like when he's brought guys in, it's guys that are fairly low risk because they already mostly know what what Ireland do because they're Leinster players. So a guy like Jimmy O'Brien, for example, can come in and not really miss a beat because most of what he'll be expected to do with Leinster translates over to Ireland almost like for like. You, you know, same goes for a guy like Joe McCarthy, who, like I said there in, in the last segment, he hasn't played a whole ton of rugby this season, but like he knows what Ireland require from the second row. Like because he plays that way for Leinster and the way Leinster play, there are so much similarities between what Leinster do and Ireland do. Like, and again, I've seen people who are kind of going, oh, look, Ireland and Leinster, nothing alike, nothing alike. My description of Ireland would be, imagine Leinster with their weaknesses buffed out, right? So you look at Peter Romani and Ty Burns' involvement for, like, for Ireland in the pack. They're the mostly, like, when you look at the starting pack, they're the guys who will mostly come in and be the 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 non-Leinster players in that group. What do they give you? They give you defensive breakdown work. They give you really good counter jumping in the line out, uh, line out outlet ball, um, and they have a different type of profile from the Leinster players. We'll say that are in the same role at Leinster. So, like you look at what Peter Romani brings there, and 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 then there's also the X factor of both players as well. They're both big personalities, and they're both guys who know how to show up at a big winning moment. Uh, and for like Peter Romani in particular, he does have those kind of enforcer style vibes that nobody really in Leinster in the pack has. So like that will give you an idea of like, well, Leinster with their weaknesses buffed out equals the Leinster pack plus Byrne and Omani starting for the most part, right? You can always you can mix and match, but that's typically what, what Farrell has done. And if you look at the bench then, like where are Leinster weak on the bench? You can tell that by looking at who they don't bring on or who they don't use when you look at their I mean you look at their pack um, and you look at their their um, their depth for big games like Keen Healy will get selected for Ireland for the most part um, but you can see Leinster are kind of reluctant to give him too many minutes Ireland are kind of the same at the moment but I think one of the biggest issues for Ireland at the moment is getting somebody to come in behind Porter because Porter for Leinster and Ireland again I would and I think I've said this in other podcasts too is probably the most valuable player in the country because of the the guys who can come in behind him and replace him are not at the level or if they were at the level that was quite a number of years ago now and the physical differences are you know there's no really nobody really in um, Porter's like in his lane physically you know like I think scrummaging wise you could certainly get a guy I think and this is why I was surprised to see Jeremy Lachman not selected for the initial World Cup squad because his scrummaging especially if you look at how he's handled Franz Malherbe how he's handled uh, Thomas Tatoy over the last couple of you know weeks for Munster 
I was surprised to not see him ma- named. Uh, I mean, you look at Dave Kilcoyne hasn't really featured for for um, for Munster in the last number of, of, of weeks because I think we've rated the solidity in the scrum that Jeremy Lockman has given us. And I think that aspect of it, like Kilcoyne explosively, character-wise, like I think he's still very valuable in that regard, but what worked for Munster at the end was guys who have a f- more of a scrum focus. And it's not to say that, that Dave Kilcoyne doesn't have a scrum focus. Like he, he, he does plainly. He's a loose head prop. But what I think we've seen from Josh Witcherly and, and Jeremy Lockman has been far more solid scrummaging. And I think that for Ireland, um, that's an area of weakness. So you might see Healy and Kilcoyne battling it out there for that one. That's more of a 50-50 than I think people realise. Hooker, there's no question there. It's Ronan Kelleher who will be start. It will be the, the guy benching behind Dan Sheehan. And then on the tight head side, you can see for Leinster, like Michael Alad. Al- 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 I'm going to go try that again. Michael Ala Alatoa is not at the same level as Tyke Furlong. Tyke Furlong isn't even at the same level of Tyke Furlong at the moment, though. Um, I think Finley Beelham, you look how well he's been playing. Like, I... Look, it, it's not a it's not a conversation because Tyke Furlong is on a, um, a central contract and he's a big leader in the group. But I think when you look at who's played better this year, like Finley Beelham or Tyke Furlong, the answer to that question is Finley Beelham, you know? Um, but like that'll give you an idea there where like Furlong would start obviously Bielem being there on the bench like you know that's a weakness for Leinster Bielem is an upgrade on Al Alatoa if you want to think about it like that on the bench uh, for the locks you're looking at depending on who you select to start you've got Ian Henderson there uh, or you know Ryan Baird if you want to go down that uh, down that route Ryan Baird I think has been really good this season um, I think his athleticism even when he wasn't being selected for, for Leinster I could see why Ireland were I could see why Farrell wanted him there because that sort of athleticism and his wingspan and the you know the game breaking moments he has offers you something a bit different and then you look at you know Peter Armani can be a guy on the bench there as well for for uh, for Ireland to offer something different to that Leinster back row to give you a different profile that's been something that they've done consistently bench uh, nine for Leinster has been a weakness for a number of years um, so you look at Luke McGrath not really the same level player of uh, as Gibson Park. I think that's, you know, you look at how Gibson Park has overtaken him in the last number of years. That's probably, you know, that, that's been proven fairly, you know, fairly clearly. Murray or Casey, I think, are a huge upgrade and could easily start. So that's that's an area where, you know, Ireland are better and a Leinster weakness has been buffed out. And then you can put any number of guys in the bench then as well that offer the same thing where you've got Bundy Aki, you may maybe have Keith Earls. But you look at you look at the back row for or the, the back row, the back line for Leinster. Midfield is a Leinster midfield, I would say, when everybody's fit. You know, Henshaw Ringrose. Low would start there. Keenan obviously is, is is top class. The other winger spot for Leinster, when you think about it, who's that? You're thinking, is that Jordan Larmore? Is that Jimmy O'Brien? Uh for Ireland it's Mac Hansen, because that's an upgrade. On, on that Leinster weakness so that's a good way of looking at it I think and it, it allows Ireland to play with a level of cohesion that other teams are like they're not able to do that they're not able to duplicate that because they don't have the familiarity they don't have the, the, the chemistry week to week now th- that, that won't be the case at the World Cup which will make this World Cup very interesting from an Irish perspective but um, most teams don't have the capability to go to that style I would be surprised to go you know, pivot back to your question here Alex I think France may look to add a bit more of that. They'll have a long enough camp once they get to La Rochelle and Toulouse guys in. Um, they'll have a long enough season, like 
you know, over the summer to build in elements of that game which are not possible, you know, in the build up to a Six Nations or to a um to a, a, a November series or whatever or a summer tour and the thing is but with France they look at summer tours as like real genuine opportunities to you know build minutes into other players and like they've done that consistently even when they've had big tours of Australia or whatever else where Ireland go all out with the you know the the, the, the category A team we'll say every time France are just like fuck that we're leaving half of them at home um, and they'll just do it and not, not, and not care and still be competitive but I think with the time they have they may look to bring that in um because they look at Toulouse and they look at how Toulouse have lost to Leinster they see Toulouse as being an, an, an analog for for um France to a certain extent because there's a lot of Toulouse guys there um they also look at Leinster as an as a, an analogy for Ireland which is again accurate so they've tried, and you can see France this season have tried to add more possession rugby into their game because their default game since they brought Sean Edwards and Fabien Galtier in has been to play off-ball rugby. And they've played that really effectively. And their transition game is as good as anybody's. But they tried against Ireland this, this season to add a little bit more on-ball into their game. It didn't work for them. They didn't have the fitness for it. I don't think they had the cohesion for it. It's a difficult game to play when you're trying to do that and you can end up burning yourself down to the ground fairly quickly I think that's what happened to France where they started really well they were competitive for a time but then just started redlining because it's an exhausting way to play I think with the timing that they have I think France are the best place to do that um, but we will see how it goes uh, I think for Munster it works uh, because we can get the groups of guys together to play that way uh, and we had an entire season of sticking exactly to that game plan so when it comes to the end of the season yeah of course it works because we've been doing it all year so uh, for test sides for even other URC sides European sides it's a very French style anyway so a lot of the French sides are already doing it but you look at you know other URC sides if you're not doing it it's a tricky enough one to make that change because I think we saw with Munster where our start of the season was so bad and remember Munster had been fairly competitive over the last couple of years like in, in the URC like getting to the knockouts every time um like you know like i mean getting to semi-finals even though if you're beaten by leinster or whatever else you're still winning a knockout game to get there like other teams they may have a way lower floor than what munster have had and like when you look at our start of the season nine out of ten coaches i think change the style they go back they change things we didn't and, and were the better for it but i think that's the the big uh uh, the big roadblock and obstacle for it is chemistry, fitness, and literally just having the time to implement it and to do it successfully. It took Munster the guts of, we're talking about four or five months to start getting to high level performances. Most teams don't have that time, you know. Uh, this one was from P Dog. Uh, when cohesion is the most important thing to get included in the Irish team, and considering how loyal Farrell is to his guys, why pick only 42 players and start a training camp so late? Uh, the Southern Hemisphere teams will be in camp from now and Scotland have already started a camp of some form why isn't Andy Farrell getting uh, everyone together from July have 60 lads and get absolutely everyone on board with the system um, it makes no sense to me they actually are getting together next week um, that will be the end of June so they're going to start onboarding guys from there but I, I think that when it comes to it 
like Ireland are going to just double down on what we've been really good at add a few bits and pieces to you know make it a point of difference obviously there's some question marks over Jonathan Sexton which I'll get to in a minute um, but yeah no I think looking at how Ireland have been we would be mad to go too far away from what has worked to this point like I don't think that makes any sense which when you think about it in that regard selection makes sense then because why would you go with a bunch of guys who haven't been included up until now with the idea being that we're going to win a World Cup that's Ireland are the favourites to win the World Cup for me we're Grand Slam champions we've beaten every team that we would look to beat on the way to winning the World Cup we're number one number one ranked team in the world um, so why should we not be looking at winning this World Cup well forget about the bookies we're number one in the world we're the Grand Slam champions why shouldn't we win it like that's the way Ireland are looking at it so in that in like if that's the criteria why would you then bring in a ton of guys who you haven't used up until now with the idea being of getting them up to speed the system works that's the way they look at it the system has been working so we'll just stick with that that's what they're doing so guys like Calvin Nash have come in because I think he fits into that system I think he is like best place I would say to challenge um Hansen and Lowe I would say of the guys who were there um, I think both guys well no, not, not, not Hansen has actually been, been pretty fit but I think there's a few question marks over James Lowe's fitness he's been up and down with his injuries this season um, so that's something where I think that Calvin Nash offers a good balance in that he has all the qualities of an outside winger but this season he's added in a lot of inside winger tendencies so his work on the screens his layers his kicking has actually been really good too so yeah no i i would say that they're getting guys in from next week um this is the week of the 15th oh my birthday's coming up soon um so yeah so looking at that i think that there's no scope for massive change and they are coming in relatively early they want to get guys into that camp but um, I, I wouldn't say there's going to be a massive scope for change between now and, and the World Cup. Nor really should there be, really, you know. Um, now, as somebody else has added here in, in that thread in the TRK Secret Club, uh, with zero specialist cover for 7 and 15, you're gambling that Keenan and Josh van der Fleer don't get injured. This is the big question about why the likes of Mike Haley uh, or the likes of, in particular, John Hodnett wasn't selected for this wider squad. Um, with... Keenan, I think they feel that um, Jimmy O'Brien can cover back there fairly easily and they're right to an extent. Uh, Kieran Frawley, who's also been included, I think they will also look at him as being a guy who can cover there too. That's something that would work for them. Um, the cover for Van der Fleer, they'll just put Peter Romani there. Like That's just what they'll do in, in that situation. Or they'll put Caelan Doris over there. They don't necessarily see Van der Fleer's role as being something that they have to have. Like, Van der Fleer is a quality player, but I think that system works without a small forward regardless. They just need somebody who can cover more or less what he does. And I think that's why they didn't bring in a specialist small forward to cover what Van der Fleer brings. Um, but yeah, look, we'll see um, But what happens there. But it, just, it does feel like that's a risk to a certain extent, but everybody's going to be taking a risk at some point coming up to this World Cup uh, this one is from Stag94 
Uh, hi Tom, the lineout seems to be the most important attacking platform for teams who play counter transition rugby. Leinster are a prime example of this, whereby if you deny them lineouts, they struggle to break you down. If rugby moves in the direction to more on ball rugby over the next couple of seasons, will the lineout become less important? If more teams play on ball rugby, I'd imagine there would be less lineouts in games. Would phase play then become even more important? For instance, Munster had the f- least first phase tries in the league, but the most tries after 10 plus phases among the URC. Are we therefore ahead of the curve in this regard compared to counter transition teams like Leinster, who sometimes struggle on phase play? Um, great question. Um, I think, first of all, looking at Leinster's style of play in counter transition, one of the big side effects of that game is a lot of lineouts. When you look at Ireland, how well we started playing as a group um post 2021 um a lot of that has to do with the lineout being fixed up to that point um like when you look at the first year or so under farrell's um under farrell's uh coaching and and cats coaching the lineout wasn't anywhere near the level where it needed to be so as a result things didn't really work to the level that it needed to and every team, and this is true of all teams, need to have a big mall. They need to have an efficient lineout. If you don't have that, you're not going to win the majority of games you play. When you are playing against a team who have a style that generates a lot of lineouts, like for example, Leinster kicked the ball an awful lot. As a result, when you kick the ball to the opposition, they will, a lot of the time, they will give you lineouts. So they'll kick the ball off the field. If you, if you put it into their 22, they'll kick the ball off the field. You'll get a lineout to work with. Racing gave them 28 lineouts, I think it was, and they got fucking smashed. <laughs> this is in the European Cup this season, just gone. Um, like, it's madness to give Leinster that amount of possession because lineouts, as you've said there, they're the most imp- important attacking platform, I'd say in general, regardless of your style of play. Um, but it, it's an area where you can absolutely script one, two, three, four phases and get everybody exactly where you want them to be while the opposition is struggling to react. That's why everybody loves it so much, especially when you look at the mall feint because of the unpredictability of it. Mall gaining five, ten metres equals trouble. So you can compress more defenders than what you could even in the scrum when it comes to um, a, a good mall. So, like, that's a huge platform for, for most sides. So, as a result, like, there's a lot of effort put into getting into that situation. Counter-transition teams, they produce a lot of that opportunity. And I think a lot of teams back themselves, well, we'll stuff them in the mall or we'll take them down in the air. But, like, honestly, like, the elite best line-out, defensive line-out in the game will... Uh, they, they will steal 20% of the ball roughly these are the numbers that we're dealing with right there'll be an extra 5% maybe that you'll you know turn into a nuisance or whatever else that still leaves 75% of their possession in a situation where they get to launch and they have all the control so teams like Leinster like they don't need 75% completion like they can score tries off off one all they need is one all they need is one or two and that's the kind of the reality of it. So, like, Munster under Van Cron, and I know this, I was speaking to coaches about it, we had an idea that, well, we'll take a line out here where you're throwing in, but we'll we'll contest. You know, we've got, you know, on paper, you know, we, we, we would have had Snayman, Byrne, O'Mani, Jack O'Donoghue was an alternate there as well, um, Clane, Coombs, like, these are all guys who can jump in the line out. So, 
if you're kicking to the opposition and you kick the ball off the field, but you get the ball, then, I mean, you're winning the game, right? Like, if they can't launch off the ball you give them and you give them 15, 20 lineups a game, then you get free possession every time you kick the ball, more or less. I mean, you're never going to take all of them, but if you even get them to a stage where they're spooked and they're throwing the ball to the front, they're getting shit ball to work with and you can kind of, you can piece them up then in midfield. Part of the reason why Munster went to RG Snayman and Damien Delende was because we figured with the defensive prowess of Damien Delende, we can actually lock teams down. So when we give them lineouts, we will be able to lock them down with RG Snayman, uh, Byrne, Omani in the in the defensive lineout, and then the Maul. And then you want to try and go off, you know, crash ball off 12 to kind of recover a bit of space. Damien Delende is there and he'll fucking smash you. Like, at the base level, I think that's what that was intended to do. But, um, I think when it comes to on-ball rugby, what that and I think this is something that, that that World Rugby want to they want to encourage from an, an entertainment perspective. They want to have more ball and playtime, so they want to have more. And again, because there's safety benefits to this too, where like the more ball and play there is, the more that bigger players will suffer, and the more tired players will become. So be, there, there will be more space, which means that there will be fewer collisions. And which means that there's going to be fewer head injuries. Which means that if you can get more ball and play and speed everything up, you don't have to go massively restrictive when it comes to a, you know, a ton of red cards or changing. Ma- you know, because I I was speaking to a guy before. He said that like legally, he said the only way that you could be safe going forward, like fully safe, is if you didn't have any tackles any higher than the belt line. Right, that any t- any 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 tackle higher than the belt line, if it's in the gut, should be a yellow card. If it's any higher than that, should be a red card. Right. This is the kind of level that we're talking about when it comes to the dangers of brain injury and the, you know, the the possibility of the game being legislated out of existence. Right. If there's more ball and play time, players will have to be smaller because you won't be able to play guys where you won't be able to have guys who are you know one thirty one forty kg like playing you know they won't be able to play 50-60 minutes of that so and we already see this in some teams where they have players who play 45 minutes and maybe that's it Um, and there's still a bonus to that but I think World Rugby aren't finished when it comes to the amount of ball and play that they actually want it's like it's the best way to you know it's a bit like if you decide to lose weight it can also help your snoring as a side effect you didn't lose weight to stop snoring but all of a sudden hey look there we go uh, but in this case I think it allows them to get a more entertaining product because again post-COVID you want entertaining games you want high scoring games you want loads of action uh, they don't want loads of kicking they don't want loads of set pieces Um, so from there you'll go well as a result of that we're also seeing players being smaller they have to be more skillful there's only so much size you can realistically pack into your team without like without it costing you so as a result players are smaller if teams are getting more tired because of more ball and play time there are fewer collisions there's more space which means more tries but there's less collisions which means that you're all of a sudden starting to get there i think when it comes to the collisions as well by the way i think we will get to a point where it's you know a tackle in the guts is where they want it and anything that starts slipping up higher than that will get legislated you know the higher you go really which to me is the right thing to do. They were doing it with the IRFU this coming season, the AIL actually. If you want to get a look at how it works, um, go check out an AIL game coming up this season. 
you'll get a really good idea as to how the tackle height works um, it's not the chest line they want you to, ta- like, to tackle guys in the guts that's where they want you to tackle um, so it'll be interesting to see how it works but I think if that continues to come in um, there'll be more scope for offloads there'll be more scope for playing um, long multi-phase possession um, and that's what I think they want they want that they don't necessarily want a whole ton of kicking and at the moment kicking is super efficient but I don't think it will be for very long and I think at that stage then you'll start looking at well who is conditioned to play the rugby that world rugby want us to play and who isn't and I think that that's the big thing there I think you've kind of come across it that at the moment counter transition is super effective because it's just so efficient it produces the platform that is most likely to produce line breaks and tries as a byproduct of the game and uh, you know the main purpose of it is you're putting the ball down into the opposition half of the field where they have to advance out of their own possession if they want to run it that way where you'll meet them on the transition defensive line you'll stuff them and all of a sudden they're under pressure and they're kicking the ball back to you in a better position than what you kicked it away from that's a hugely efficient way to play at the moment in Ireland at test level are destroying teams with it because they don't have the the game to punish us for kicking the ball to them so like they will just kick the ball back we continue to attack on the front foot and it's a bit like you're kind of tilting every time that you kick the ball to them you're tilting the table in your favor so when they're trying to kick it back they're already kicking uphill and the the more and the better you do it the more to a certain point then where it's almost inevitable that you just roll downhill that's what counter transition is it's like it's almost playing downhill almost um but I think what Munster have done this season, which is different to it, which again, it's not unique. A lot of French teams play this way, um, is that we're safe when we have the ball. That when we own the ball, we will always kick on our terms. You can't get the ball back. You're going to be defending for long periods. And if you're efficient when you're when you're in that in that space, you will win games. We are not even close to being as efficient as what we want to be. Um so like the line out is hugely important but I think for on ball teams the focus becomes that on whatever line outs you get you have to be able to have a big maul because big mauls are a large part of on ball rugby as well so um, I think the line out won't reduce in uh, in, in, in scope or importance um, but you know phase play it's what world rugby want they want that type of game so I think you'd be a fool not to go all in in it to get ahead of the curve which I think Munster are at the moment which again it's just it's 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 a side effect of of where the game is going from like from a monetary perspective but also from a safety perspective an entertainment perspective it's better to be a team who plays mostly with the ball I think that kicking in in the way that it's done where it's like you're kicking long downfield to create those transition moments that's going to become outdated very soon I'm not sure when I'm not going to say oh the 11th of November <laughs> like 2024 no it's like it's just one of those trends in the game that you can see beginning to shift and move away a bit like you know box kicking um, where you're short box kicking and playing off ball rugby on short box kicks you don't really see that anymore that kind of went out of fashion around 20 just in the afternoon of 2019 it was almost out of fashion then like it, that, that's where I see it you know, so thanks for the question. It's a really good question. Uh, Baz Kennedy says, as we're only into year one of the rebuild, 
What changes do you think we'll see in the game plan for the coming season? How do you see it evolving over time? That's a, a good follow-up to the previous question, actually, Bez. Um, I think what we'll see more from Munster is more variety in our structures and our in, and, 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 and our shapes. What we really excelled at in the running this season was, and you, you'll go back if you go back and watch the games, I think you'll actually see it in the Stormers game coming up on that um, Listen Along With Tom series I'm doing. You'll see how we were able to adapt our, um, our 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 pod shapes as they went on. So you were looking at Munster splitting packs, um, pods that little bit more, finding guys running in the in in the the second layer, options running off that second layer option as well. You'll just see more options. You'll see more uh, players becoming more efficient at, you know, jumping in and you know being able to play with the sort of. Uh, variety and and skills that are required like the next stage that we need to get to I think is where everybody is really comfortable passing and handling the ball I think that's where the next stage of it goes because there's levels of handling and breakdown entries that we need to get where because like we need to be more efficient inside the the five meter line like we need to become way more efficient there so that's a big area of work on but you're looking at we'll be mostly doubling down on what we saw work this season and reducing stuff that we know didn't work so like and and mainly i think it'll be finding guys to fill in the roles that we know we have that work so you know or her and a dog bow i think are a good um alternate for clean and for um snaming so that works but like what options do we have to find a guy a bit like gavin coombs like we need to kind of get a little bit more power i think into the front row or find more ways to work around that. So that's going to be a, a big aspect of, of developing. But like from a game plan perspective, I would expect to see more layers, more guys comfortable ha- like working on deep loop lines, um, more variety in our pod shape, uh, more comfort in the system so that there's better chemistry there so you can change things on the fly a little bit easier. Um, I think that's going to be a large part of it. Uh, Munster Mirror says, Leinster used some clever tap and go moves during the year, including two against us in Tolman Park. After the first few matches, Munster hardly ever went to the tap and go. Do you think that will change next year when we will have bigger men available? If you look at the game, though, they kind of went out of fashion really quick as the season went on. I think there was a um, directive that came in. I can't be sure, but if you look at how many tap and go tries that went that way with all those... um, you know, the very intricate moves that happened at the start and middle of the season, they disappeared almost overnight as the season went to its end. Like, think about it, how many how many times have you seen that as the season went to the end? I think that referees were kind of hot and given instructions on, look, a lot of the, these plays are obstruction. Like, so you look at the, I think the try that Scott Penny scored against Munster and Tolman Park, but a lot of that was obstruction, you know? And I think that that's where... There has to be a, a... You have to be able to defend a lot of these things too. I think that that's one of the big things that they looked at. I don't see a whole lot of value in going too hard on that. Um, because again, a lot of those plays, because just because of the where you're where you're doing it, are obstruction. You know, and I think they want they, they, they don't want that from that side of the field. So I wouldn't expect too much uh, in the way of, of uh, change when it comes to that aspect of it. Um, so the other questions that were here... Uh, they were to do with the Jonathan Sexton incident, which I am saying in all capital letters for all segments uh, of that of the, of that sentence. The Jonathan Sexton incident. 
I'm here to discuss the Jonathan Sexton incident. It sounds like a, a kind of a prog rock band from the 70s. The Jonathan Sexton incident. If you were unaware of this, uh, which I would be shocked if you were not, um, he was on the field after Leinster lost to La Rochelle in the European Cup final, wherein he gave Jacko Paper, I think the refereeing crew in general, a piece of his mind. Um, and it was not pleasant what was in his mind for those officials. And this was reported after the game fairly quickly. And again, I will say this, that like, there's an awful lot of um, emotion and, you know, your blood's up in the aftermath of a game like that where Leinster were like 17-0 up to lose again to La Rochelle, to Ronan O'Gara after the week that was. And, you know, because I, I, I don't think Jacko Paper had a massive influence on that game. If you know Jacko Paper, you know that he'll referee one way in the first half and then he'll change it around. Because, again, he likes he likes tight games. He likes dramatic games. All referees do, to be fair. They like to be in the middle of it. He will not distort the game. I don't think that he distorted anything in the game as it was. But if you're Jonathan Sexton, I think the natural outlet for that is referee fucked us. And sometimes referees do fuck you. They do. I don't think that was the case here. Um, but Johnny Sexton, as a guy who was not part of the playing squad, he was in the stands for the first half. I think he was down on the pitch for the majority of the second half. Um, a guy like that coming on and having a pop off the referee once the game is done is stupid. Um, people ask him about whether he get a ban. I'd be shocked if he got a ban. I would be shocked if he did. Because it's Johnny Sexton. If this was, you know, one of the O'Brien collective, and they came up and fucked out, the, fuck, you know, fucked the referee out of it after the game, they'd get a ban and nobody would care. But this is Johnny Sexton. He's the captain of Leinster. He's the captain of Ireland. One of the most prominent players in the game. For him to do that makes it a difficult thing politically to do. Because, like I said, if this, if this was some schmuck, they'd already be banned, right? But because it's Sexton, you can't really do that as easily because there's far more politics involved. Um, at the same time, I don't think that World Rugby, and it's not even World Rugby, it's the EPCR, I don't think that they can abide a situation where somebody can come up to a referee after after a game like that who's not even a player or a coach involved in the game itself and fuck them out of it. Um, I don't think they can let that stand either. As to what will happen, um, I don't know, to be honest. Like, I could see him getting a ban, like maybe, you know, fucking two, three weeks or whatever else with a fucking, you know, uh, don't fuck the referee out of it course to reduce it by a week. Maybe. But at the same time, like, I could see nothing happening just as easily, you know? Like, I don't see, like, 24 weeks. I do not see that, you know? That's, uh, like, that. that's on the books for it. But I don't. I don't see that happening. I don't see him missing out in the World Cup because he's banned because of what he says, something he said to a referee. I don't see that happening. Um, but what I do see happening is this coming back to bite Sexton in another way. Because if he's fit for the World Cup, which is far from a certainty as well, by the way, referees talk to each other. They see if you came up and you fucked Jacko Paper out of it and Carl Dixon out of it and stuff like that. Like They all know these guys. So if you're seen to be getting away with that, do not be expecting a few handy refereeing decisions in a game 
do not expect charitable interpretations. It's not like they'll go out directly to fuck you, but referees like re- like referees have so much power in this game, where like they, they can decide in a game if they're going to let certain things flow or not. It just, for me, seems to be the most foolhardy thing you could do, especially as a player in his position. Because like I said, if fucking Jamesy or fucking Brian decides he wants to go out there and fuck Jacko Paper out of it. He's probably ejected by security before he even gets anywhere near him. If it's some fella who comes up and does it like that, you're like, whatever. You know, some fucking guy lost a run of himself. Whatever. But when it's your captain of Leinster and Ireland, who, bear in mind, number one team in the world, you're just setting yourself up for a slap. You're setting yourself up for a slap. Maybe you get a ban, maybe you won't. But I don't know. I, for me, I just wouldn't be seen to be doing that after a game with referees. Um because again especially if you're a player for coaches you can see coaches because coaches are sort of up in the fucking coaching box and they have to take their medicine up there so yeah coaches come down they might have a pop off the referee but I think guys can understand that if you're a player who's not a coach and you're coming in off the field just like shut the fuck up first of all get back behind the fucking cord and into the fan into the fan zone there because that's what you are today um, I don't know it just seems to me to be really foolhardy for him to do that just because of all the unpredictable things that can happen because these are human beings okay like to a certain extent I think you want referees liking you or at least not hating your guts or at least not thinking you're a fucking bollocks who got away with shit that's just my own opinion on it so thank you very much for listening into this TRK mailbag I've got another one coming next week uh, with another bunch of questions so if you have a question that I haven't read out as of yet and I've got a bunch to get through send them into info at 3 and I will get to them over the course of the summer because the content's going to keep going so thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber. I really do appreciate it. Also, if you're on the five euro tier, which you are if you're listening to this, and you would like to get to go to a yearly subscription, you can do so at the moment. It's at 16% off. So if you would like to do that, if it works for you, if it helps you financially, do so. It's no problem to me whatsoever. Thank you very much, though, for your subscription, however you do it. I really do appreciate it. I will talk to you again very, very soon.